mysteries of Gravity Falls creep into the non-animated world. This is the Gravity Bros Podcast. I'm Alec Hester, and I am joined by the arguably 16th and a half president of the United States, Lucas Hester. I love that, technically speaking, that could be arguable, because anything is arguable. So you're not wrong. Yeah, that, that's exactly right, uh, especially because, as we know in the Gravity Falls universe, it's certainly mm-hmm. possible for you to have been a president. Of course. Frozen yourself in peanut brittle and uh, now be where you are. Now, it would yeah. be weird if we were brothers. I think by that logic, we would each have to have been entombed in peanut brittle. But look, dude, I don't rule anything out. You live yeah. in Oregon. I mean, <laughs> exactly. And... I mean, if we if we had frozen ourselves in slightly different textures, maybe the age rate would make sense. Maybe you're the older brother, or maybe you're the younger brother, rather, and and you just age differently because I used peanut brittle, but you used peanut butter mistakenly. You see, that is absolutely something that I would do. Those words yeah. are similar. Um, yeah, of course. Probably a similar amount of letters. Yeah. Uh, different texture, though. Definitely. True. Okay. Well, let the fan theories begin, but. Let's not spend too much time speculating about that, because we, today, have to talk about Episode 8 of Gravity Falls, Irrational Treasure. Okay, so I did not remember anything about this from reading it or seeing the thumbnail going into this episode, so I completely forgot the premise and everything. There's a lot in this. (laughs) So, dude, I was going to tell you, it's very interesting that you said that. I have a confession to make. I don't remember this episode. No! Did you not see this one? Um, to be honest with you, the only memories that I have are, like, very vague. Um, I think there's a chance, because my fiancé and I, when we watched Gravity Falls years ago, we watched it relatively quickly once we really got into it, and this was about that time. I kind of think I might have been falling asleep during this episode. I know that's sacrilegious. Oh, no, 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 I, that... It happens. It happens. Especially in the binge model. I know we like binging, but it actually gives us a less fruitful experience of our watch. Yeah, no, I've got to be honest, dude. I remembered so little that it feels like I watched this for the very first time and I'm walking in with like a totally fresh take. Did you remember the woodpecker marriage joke? Barely. It's hard okay. because now that I... That's, that's how I know you were falling asleep because I would have... I definitely remembered that. So let's get into it shall we yeah let's talk it through so the episode opens the gang is stuck in traffic and stan sees some covered wagons and goes into total panic mode as as they circle the car they realize they are trapped but mabel says i've got a good feeling about today and that's how our episode opens Yeah, also I would like to say that the fact that Stan got stuck in traffic and he just became horrified that this was the event that he got stuck at, Pioneer Day, as we find out, it's pretty hilarious. (laughs) It's great. Uh, It's pretty good. I laughed pretty hard at that intro, actually. Oh, yeah, man, and it's funny because I can picture events like Pioneer Day that I've seen, and... People get so into it. I, I don't know. It, oh, the yeah. exaggerated response to that kind of thing really made me chuckle. Okay, have you been to? Have you like when I say have you been to a Renaissance fair? I mean, have you been from the perspectives of somebody who like goes to Renaissance fairs? No, only when we were kids, and I remember like being a spectator. See, I went to Ren fairs for real and did like the costumes and stuff. I went as a pirate one time, and it is fun. I definitely related to this. For that, for that reason. I didn't, it's not the same thing. I didn't, because I don't like colonialism. I don't see the glorification in that at all. But fairies and stuff, I like that. <laughs> well, and they play with that in the episode. They do. Um, I didn't know Much, that about you. Yeah. yeah, no, Ren Fairs are super fun, dude. And I like Comic-Cons. Yo, man, if anybody wants us to show up at a Comic-Con, let us know somehow, because that would make my day if somebody wanted me to show up at a Comic-Con. <laughs> maybe that's like a little bit farther in the future when the show really takes off but alec, i'm not ruling you, anything out do you want me to show up at a comic-con alec um sure i can't promise it, i'll show up with you it made my that just made my day see that's all it takes everyone <laughs> good all right well I, i'm glad to hear that you're easily won over yeah. um can't say the same about grunkle stan with pioneer day though so 
We get back to the episode. We see all these people dressed up for the day Gravity Falls was created, which is 1863, according to Toby Determined. Founded, I would like to clarify very heavily. (laughs) Yeah. uh, As we learn in the history of Gravity Falls, and maybe in America, uh, sometimes history gets told in certain ways. Certain things get embellished. And uh, there's a lot to learn here about the actual founding of Gravity Falls. So, uh, I like that we sort of start off with a gag that you mentioned before the episode started about a guy marrying a woodpecker, and Dipper thinks it's just a gag, like, oh, this is like for Pioneer Day, uh, but, uh, the gentleman marrying the woodpecker comes up and verifies, uh, oh no, it's still very legal. It's still very legal, he says very intensely, very passionate. Now, the thing about this joke is I don't know if this is going to be a joke that we look back on and go yikes about. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean, because you know how you look back at things literally 10 years ago, maybe not even 10, and you're like, ooh, that wasn't good. Um, Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) That's funny. I mean, Gravity Falls is 10 years old now, and so far it's still funny. Oh, I mean, I still thought it was funny, but I mean, we're kind of in a children's TV show. Hear me out. We're kind of satirizing a bestiality marriage in a very, very <laughs> lighthearted way, right? Am I wrong okay. about that? Well, okay, but to be fair, like, it is and, lighthearted. And it is a gag. Also, right? but, but also making a statement on the nature of the legality of marriage. And I think that's more the crux of the moral dilemma that, that because I think, like, bestiality is something people would, I don't know. I, you know what? I think I'm going to stop talking about this, actually. <laughs> That's great, and I'll question whether or not to keep it in. Um, It's <laughs> a, a good policy. That's that's why we do this. Um. <laughs> that's so true. So, yeah, it turns out, Lucas, woodpecker marriage is legal in Gravity oh, Falls. No, no, it has no, been. No, 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 we're, we're moving past that. Nope, we keep going. No more woodpecker marriage. Let's, let's the next part. Great. Grunkle Stan says that the kids are dead to him if they come back talking like the time period because they decide they want to be in on Pioneer Day. This seems great. And as they go in, they see some awesome things like the police ignoring a robbery because they're having too much fun. Uh, (laughs) That bell, the bell though, and the the police in this episode are S-tier side characters, let's be honest. Uh, I can't wait to talk about the cops too. Because at first... You see this and you're like, okay, it's another gag. We've seen them have these entrance gags to episodes a couple times now. It's usually played off. But these cops are so important. They're They're so funny in this episode. But before we get to that, we see Pacifica Northwest back again for the second episode in a row. And her and her family, they seem to be hosting the event. And they're asking for volunteers, to which Mabel agrees. What this part sets up is essentially the kind of crux of like, Mabel's A plot, the A plot of the episode, which is Mabel being criticized for being very silly and her needing to grapple with that as an identity and kind of the idea of having a more neurodivergent perspective on reality, let's call it. I I like how you said that, yeah. Um, And I love this plot, as we will get into. I really related to Mabel in this episode, and I think I've mostly been relating to Dipper leading up to it, but definitely in my adult life there were things here that I... Um, resonated with, we will say. Because uh, Pacifica, whose family we find out founded Gravity Falls, allegedly, decides that she is going to criticize Mabel to say that Pioneer Day is for serious people. Yeah, yes, Pioneer Day, the, the pinnacle of seriousness. There is one joke that also happens here where uh, Pacifica Northwest says something like, like, I'm doing this for America. Very cheesy, stereotypical. And we just see the gravity finds... Oh, she just starts chanting USA. That's what it is. It's the classic USA, USA, USA. Well, yeah, and the funny part is that there's the one guy all in America gear, like, tearing up. Like, yes, USA! You know, he believes it so much. Yeah. And I think that (laughs) that was a very neutral way to make a very funny joke about a a certain kind of person. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. And I like that. I like that. Uh, yeah, so Nathaniel Northwest is the ancestor in question that seems to have founded Gravity Falls as far as history is concerned. After Pacifica sort of, like, gives Mabel a hard time and makes her sad, Dipper goes over trying to make her feel better, and he remembers something from Journal 3. 
I liked how he tried to do the voice of an author here when he was reading it off because this I is something know. that I very much do. I wrote that. I wrote that down. I was like, Dipper was literally Alec trying like, hey, should I do the voice? No, no, we're not doing the voice. And I also wrote that down because it was also just like such a cute, real human moment, obviously, because we literally did the same thing. Well, I just, I love to embellish with voices and read in the history of Gravity Falls. Okay. So I yeah, don't know yeah, what yeah. I, are we not doing the voice? No, we're not. Okay, see, I, see, I, I wouldn't do We just voice. did it, we just did it again anyway, that was. <laughs> <laughs> not a bit. Um, not a bit. Not planned. The, g- the gist of what Dipper reads is that the author does not believe that Nathaniel Northwest is the real founder. And says he has evidence, but needs to crack the code. And there is an interesting looking pyramid uh that we see mm, triangles I, are my favorite shape three points for two y- lines meet yeah <laughs> seems like it may be foreshadowing a certain character that we haven't been introduced with maybe who knows i don't certainly <laughs> definitely not uh, alec and lucas cool so the mystery twins take off which is a name that dipper embraces after mabel says that she thought he hated it. I thought that was cute. But Dipper and Mabel set off to crack the code and prove that Nathaniel is not the founder, mostly out of spite for Pacifica, let's be honest. And the spirit of mystery, I mean, are both valid. Both valid. There's no reason not to do this as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and now this is where we see a moment of the cops watching Mabel and Dipper run off. And they need to do something about this. And we are hinted that, oh... Why do the cops care about whatever Mabel and Dipper are doing right now? Yeah, which is really bizarre because so far, all of the people in Gravity Falls have very much not been aware of anything. So to have a situation where we have the authority figures of the town actually cracking down on Dipper and Mabel from a higher authority is kind of actually a big deal to see. I think so. It is. And an even cooler thing for me is when... uh, one says to the other, if being delightful was a crime, you'd be breaking the law. That's so cute. Favorite quote of the uh, day. Yep, that was what I wrote as my favorite quote of the episode. I love it. Every time they're on screen, I'm happy. Like, life is, a, life is good, you know? I agree. That is the only time I will ever say that about police. <laughs> so that, that is a big deal. Gravity Falls did something that can't be done. So that's, that's pretty impressive. I'm not going to touch that one because we're in the library and Dipper and Mabel have a breakthrough because Mabel accidentally wears the map that was in Journal 3 as a hat. And it turns out that there's a diagram that can only be seen when it is worn as such a hat, which is good because Dipper was about ready to burn it in his own wild theory that was not the case. Which I would like to say is also a very silly thing to do from a different perspective. I would not say that's like, you know, because I mean, I, I thought that the idea was they're like contrasting. I'm like, I, don't, I feel like the logical, sensible solution would not have been to burn up the clue, you know? Well, listen, if that's the only way, then could you have the guts, Lucas? If you found and you were like, oh, I think that burning it is what it wants me to do. Could you do it? Because if you do and you're wrong, there are no second chances. That's it. I mean, I'd at least try a couple other things first. It's not like there's really a time limit on them doing this, right? I mean, yeah, I guess there is no time limit on it, other than wanting to do it on Pioneer Day. I mean, you and I know that the cops are watching out for him, but at this point, they don't know that. So, like, you know. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. And the clue takes them to the uh, Gravity Falls Museum. I think it might be, like, History Museum. I don't know the correct nomenclature, but they're at the museum. I'll be honest, I kind of stop paying attention to the sequence events that happens because my brain converts it all into, okay, this is Mabel using being silly to find the thing. And it kind of reads that way to me. I don't get any more out of the sequence than that. You know, maybe some nice, like, flavor character moments with Dipper and Mabel, but, like, you know, that whole sequence of events is kind of just that part playing out, right? Do you feel me? I do definitely feel you. I think that the extra added sauce for me, as it were, is knowing that this is kind of like a fun little mystery escape room, follow the clues situation. And I think that that's charming, especially as somebody who really enjoyed like Scooby-Doo and those kind of shows growing up. So um, I, it, you're right. It is just kind of a sequence of them slowly uncovering other clues. Yeah, I guess that I agree with what you're saying, but I also love that it's all there. Yeah, 
not saying I didn't enjoy it. It's just I don't have that much to say about it because it, it all just kind of ends up being that experience for me. Which, to me, makes the crux of the episode a lot of the little details like the foreshadow and then what happens towards the end of the episode. You know what I mean? Oh, and then also the, also the side plot with Grunkle Stan. Because meanwhile, Grunkle Stan is just... Pra- the whole side B plot, everybody, is just Grunkle Stan is getting harassed by Pioneer Day. And it's hysterical. That's pretty much his whole thing, too. One thing leads to another, and he ends up getting put in one of those, like, arrested things. They, like, put the bar over his head and arms. Yeah, you know the, the one I'm talking about? The time shackles from, like, the 1800s that keep yeah. your wrists locked. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, like, Gideon shows up and makes fun of him. Pacifica makes fun of him. Pretty much, like, everyone in town that's ever had beef with Grunkle Stan. Okay, I guess at this point in the series, it's not that many people. But still, it's hysterical to see everybody taking cheap shots at him as soon as they get the opportunity to. And it, he just can't catch a break. And <laughs> he hates it so much. At, at one point, Grunkle does literally write you stink with his mouth and it was pretty cool that was kind of a cool scene because he literally after goes ha i did that with my mouth yeah but <laughs> it is that, that whole stuff that's a good scene that, yeah I, I i agree the b plot solid back to dipper and mabel they were led to a statue by the clue in the art museum and mabel jokingly decides she's gonna like pick her nose with the statue arm and then that forces the arm down to open a secret passage i will say that one was my was my favorite like silly thing that actually led to the clue because like technically speaking that's not actually what you needed to do to get the clue you actually just needed to pull the arm down (laughs) you know and it just happened to work out yeah just happened to work out that that tickles me so much that's funny. Gross stuff rarely lands for me, but knowing that the theme of this episode is Mabel's weirdness helping her problem solve, well, I'm okay with it. Because to me, the joke isn't that it's gross, it's that it's absurd. You know, that's why the humor lands, because it's not, cr- it's the crux of it isn't, isn't like, oh, isn't it funny that this is gross? No, it's, isn't this funny that somehow picking your nose is the thing that ends up creating this, like, chain reaction that leads to the, I like it, it works for me. No. It really is. Um, the cops are still on their trail during this time. When they had made it to the museum, there's a great scene of them being really sad that there's no more buttons or balloons uh, available for them. There's no pink balloon? We shouldn't even come. Oh, that was a really good impression. Oh, was it? Wow, that's good. Yeah. Uh, well also, the, the like subtlety of that being a gay joke is also something that I kind of like. I'm not even going to call it subtle. I mean, subtlety in that you could put it in a kid's show at this time in history and make it land, you know? Yeah, actually, I think that this is a good transition to talk about that. So the cops in Gravity Falls are gay. This is confirmed by Alex Hirsch. They wanted to do more with it in the show than Disney was willing to let them do. So they used moments like these to be able to put that together. I love how Alex Hirsch and the entire Gravity Falls team went about dealing with the constraints that they obviously had. And even though I would have loved to have seen them let these characters go further, I think this episode encapsulated their charm very, very well. And it is nice for me to see and to remember that this was in there. Because again, this is an episode that I have a very low recollection of. So I remember more of their moments later. And I actually thought that this included more than I expected, I will say. Oh, really? Okay, I remembered less moments with them, and and I was very pleased to see how much they were in the episode. Nice. Well, I remember moments later, but not from this one specifically. Okay, that that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, man, every time they're on screen during this is absolutely delightful, and I think that's one of the best things is just that their relationship is just so lovely to see on screen, you know? It's just like, it, it makes the experience so wonderful, and I think that that's really refreshing, too, because we don't have a lot of positive... Uh, not okay. I'll say like, what's the correct terminology for this? Non-straight is what I'm saying. No, we don't. There's not a lot of non-hetero examples of people in animation um, for kids. So seeing that, I think, in such a wonderful way that's non-political, in my opinion, and like, you know, it's just like, oh, these this is these are characters that exist, and this is their lives. That is phenomenal. That's like the best kind of representation because it's not hammering you over the head with a point. And then the other thing I like about this is a lot of people like to talk mad about um, companies who put on too many limits on their, on companies. Like, you know, people probably mad at Disney for not letting them do enough. Um, Yeah. And I agree with that. They should be mad. 
But that does still create environmental conditions that creators have to work within that ends up pushing their creativity a lot and sometimes ends up making for a lot of really cool things. And I think in a way, it almost makes this relationship more awesome because they need to work with subtlety and it allows them to create so much little character flavor that maybe they otherwise wouldn't have done. That's a tremendous point, honestly. Um, I like the idea that sometimes constraints force creativity and you're right. I think that is maybe what makes a show like Gravity Falls or Steven Universe or Adventure Time even so fun. It is them trying to do their best to create really mature themes without being so heavy handed. So they have to get like really subtle with it. And uh, you're right. It is fun to me to know that these are gay characters and not everybody is going to just watch and know it, but they find a way to kind of get it across anyway. Yeah, and it's it's like, obviously there are problems with censorship, many, many, many so, but from the perspective of a creator, I think there's a philosophical note to be like, these are not roadblocks, they're challenges, you know? And I love how Alex Hirsch is able to write these characters in and create such a great dynamic with those environmental conditions. It's the difference between pressing out diamonds with your conditions and crumbling, you know? Yes. Um, And I will say on the record that Alex Hirsch has been very vocally um, frustrated with Disney for these types of constraints that have been put on this show, as well as other ones that he's worked on. Um, Validly so. I'm not trying to underplay that by any means. Oh, (laughs) I know. And and, no, you you didn't come across like you did whatsoever. Um, But I, I think that I had alluded to in one of our first episodes that that's the case. And I wanted to clearly say that this is like the crux of that issue. Um, yeah, totally. And the reason that if you've heard of Alex Hirsch, like hating Disney or anything like that, it has to do with that. But he is still ridiculously proud of this universe and these characters. And that shows in all of the types of uh, postseason content that he put out and walked into it with the mentality of I'm going to make this a two season show. I want it to be great. And I'm not going to make more episodes than that. And I think that that succeeded in making a really well packaged series that has I should say, will stand the test of time. It's great. Definitely. Definitely. 100% agree on that. Cool. So back to the episode. Uh, yes. This is where things really kick off and we go into adventure Indiana Jones mode. Because 100%. Dipper and Mabel are in this passage that they've opened with the nose picking. And they're in full conspiracy mode. They trigger a bunch of darts in the cave that start coming at them. And we get a cave of secret things which shows abraham lincoln with like a hand under his hat we find out that benjamin franklin was secretly a woman um which makes sense for the time period because i don't know if he would have been as respected Um, oh that's yeah that was that was also an interesting joke to have in there i think i agree i like it and then we find the northwest papers and these are documents which outline the truth of the history of gravity falls and essentially also reveal who the true founder was. The founder was, in fact, a man named Quentin Tremblay. That's the cops. The cops arrive. The, the darts did hit Deputy Durland. <laughs> Dude, that joke was so funny. He walks in and rings the bell. Yeah! And falls over. He got hit with a couple darts. He's got like 30 in his back, dude. That was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, Sheriff Blub's here. I feel like... Not as worried as I would have expected him to be. (laughs) Yeah, for 30 poison darts to be in his hubby, dude, I'd be a little concerned. (laughs) (laughs) So the cops are here as we find out and they tell the kids this is a matter of national security. Blubs has a video just conveniently in his hat and we get like the greatest old school VHS sequence. So good. It's like, it, it actually, I love, it's it's like a styled after some of those like old CIA FBI tapes that I've absolutely watched because I'm insane. You know, like those old tests where they were like drugging people and doing all this crazy testing on the public and all those crazy, it's a fun rabbit hole, everybody go check it out. Um, but anyway, it's styled like those old tapes. And the, the guy is like, if you are seeing this, you are one of several people with top security clearance. I myself will be shot as soon as this filming is complete. And when I hear, and I've seen this episode like several times, every time I hear that line, I'm just like, what? What?" And then 
like the director behind the camera goes like says something to him and he goes oh that's not gonna happen oh that's a relief but you know that that little bit was added after the censors you know that they wanted to keep that in and that just knowing that that intention is there is so funny to me dude that's one of the funniest things i've ever heard of in the show dude when he said that and again i have forgotten the episode i about fell on the floor (laughs) holy what is happening here and i know that they like sort of uh you know fixed it for the censors or whatever but there was a long enough gap there where the joke still hit oh that's why i think it was so clever the way they got around it so we find out in this video that Tremblay was the eight and a half president of the United States. He won the 1837 election in a literal landslide, and he was known as the silliest president. So we get that word silly again, relating to this Mabel story a little bit. But we see that as president, he put babies on the Supreme Court, uh, was involved in the Pancake War, and did not wear pants. I was just going to say, I, I don't see the problem with this person being a current presidential candidate. But uh, we can continue. <laughs> well, apparently in 1837, it was too much. And <laughs> oh, how the times have changed. Am I right? <laughs> not going to touch that one either. Uh, he was kicked out of office for this outlandish behavior. And he landed in the town of Gravity Falls, Oregon. Or what was just land at that point. Because he was the true founder. Um, okay, so what I didn't notice ever watching this is that it was named Gravity Falls, Oregon, because he literally fell in it on his horse. I actually am embarrassed to say that I missed that on the watch, so thank you for uh, clarifying that point. I have missed that every time. I've seen the show a couple times. I've missed it every single time. It was not an easy thing to get. It was a very short line that indicates that that's the case, and I was like, oh my god, I've never noticed that before. Yeah, so he named it Gravity Falls, just because he literally fell into the place. Dude, the lore, that's so cool. Yeah. Isn't that silly? Yeah, I, I love it. But unfortunately, Tremblay would not be recognized for this achievement because he was erased from history and replaced by President William Henry Harrison, who, for all intents and purposes, became yeah. either the eighth or the ninth president. Um it's it's the same story of the natives who actually also owned this land before all this. Woo! Well done. I'm yeah, proud will, of you. I will say, I'm a, I am a little sad that that was not something that was brought up in this episode. I'm not going to lie. But I, I won't about it. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm just saying, maybe at least a scene, a subtle reference, something. There's a totem pole in front of the gravity jack. Come on. I, yeah, I think that they could have satirized that and made a really cool point. I, and I'd be willing to bet if the show was made now, they would have gotten there. But I believe that's true. In addition to being replaced as president, he was also replaced as the Gravity Falls founder by Nathaniel Northwest. Because apparently he's still even too weird for Gravity Falls, Oregon. Which is also not accurate, according to current... <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> You're going there today. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going there. I'm activated, Alec. Yes. <laughs> the episode brought it out of you. Yeah. Hello? Hello? I've worked out the next riddle, but I haven't much time. It reads, first is fourth, fourth is first. They are the same, but now reversed. That's all, but I think we're on the right path. Someone is watching me. It's not safe for me to go out anymore. I can trust no one but you. I'm counting on you. We hear that the whereabouts of the body is unknown until right now. Because in the cave, we do see encased in peanut brittle to try keeping himself alive. It is, in fact, Quentin Tremblay. And they thaw him out. Sorry to jump the gun, but they thaw him out. Yeah, well, so it turns out that finding this body was the special mission of Sheriff, uh, special mission of the cops, but Mabel and Dipper did it for them. Yep. So, something that is really, really awesome and subtle about this that you may or may not have picked up is that there is a very famous urban legend that Walt Disney himself throws himself in some kind of 
Uh, I want to say Carbonite because that's where my head goes for like Han Solo. No, no, they, no. I know what you mean though. They like say, stored his froze the Disney froze his body to bring him back for the future. That's the theory, right? Yeah, and that his body is hidden in Pirates of the Caribbean, the att- Disneyland attraction. Oh, I didn't know that detail. That's cool. Um, as somebody who, as I've said in this podcast before, is a former Walt Disney World cast member. Uh, and historian, I would say, for Disney subculture in general. Uh, th- this is very much BS, and please don't spread it. But I really love that the joke alluded to it. It's very funny to me, because it's so ridiculous. I think that's absolutely so ridiculous to me. I, I think that that's so crazy, man. I, I don't think I, think... I think if somebody made that story up about Jeff Bezos when he dies, I'll buy it. But Walt Disney didn't have enough money back then. I, I don't buy it. I mean, he was definitely one of the more successful people. And I think the reason legends like that take on a life of their own is because you think about a, a person. fun. We live life. Humans live lives with narratives and stories. No one actually cares what's happening. They just want to tell their story. Oh, dude. Okay. I've got an idea. Do you want to open journal four a little bit early? And do you want to yeah. add Walt Disney freezing himself and being stored under Pirates of the Caribbean into journal four? Yeah, I do. I do. All right, bro. I've got to give it, like, the lowest score because I, I just can't get... Well, but it is fun. It is fun. I'm not trying to ruin wanna, anybody's I fun. Know, I want to know yours. <laughs> I'm the guy who ruins somebody's fun every time you ask me this, so I'm, I'm eager to maybe give it a higher score than you. So what are you doing? I'm giving it a zero. Oh! I'm giving it a higher score than that! No, I'm going to give it a one. I don't believe in zeros. I changed my mind. Everything a, is possible in some weird metaphysical way, right? So I feel like giving something a zero is uh, ne- never fair. Yeah, there's always some percentage chance. That's true. I'll, Here's the I'll, thing, give, dude. I'll give it a two. I don't know anything about how Walt Disney died personally. So you know what? There's enough room for doubt that I'll give it an extra point. <laughs> if you've met Disney cast members, there is no way enough people would be tight-lipped enough to keep a secret like that for 70, 80 years, however long it's been. No, so there, there's no way. Uh, I actually, actually I, I don't believe. I, I wouldn't believe even almost. It hasn't actually been that long, but regardless, it, it's pretty ridiculous. But I love having it in Journal 4. Um, and listen, if Walt Disney comes to life again one day, uh, that's going to be very funny for all the people who think that they know what he would have wanted. Dude, if that happens, then I, like, I have the Price is Right win on this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you actually do. That's, that's very <laughs> true. All right. <laughs> I'm glad that we took that break. Me um, too. <laughs> so it turns out, though, that peanut brittle really does have life-saving properties because it did, in fact, save Quentin Tremblay. And um, Mabel realizes, wow, this guy's not silly. He's actually brilliant. Uh, the reason they know he's alive is because as the cops take this thing to a train and take the kids with them, Mabel and Dipper are able to melt it and bring him back to life. I, I honestly kind of, I stopped taking notes on uh, the, the plot of the episode at this point. So you should keep doing that. that no, that's totally fair. Because at this <laughs> point, I was also so immersed that I had to continuously pause if I wanted to get any notes in at all. I was yeah. enjoying what was happening. Um, Same. Because Quentin Trembley is a weird dude. Yeah. This is the point where we start to meet his character. And he wants to help the kids escape from this trap that they have been set in, kind of by the cops. I don't know if it's a trap so much as the cops are trying to do their due diligence and, uh, you know, take this former president to the proper place of national security. I won't go into that one. That's one I won't get in. I won't touch that one. Let's, yeah. <laughs> um, meanwhile, they are completely unaware of the fact that this former president has been brought back to life. If you even call it brought back to life, I guess he was always alive. But we see something interesting, which is important. And that is that he holds something called the president's key, which is supposed to be able to open any lock in America. Um, Of course, there's no lock in this car, so it doesn't matter. But it is important that we get to know this president's key. Um, It is? I believe so. I'm not 100% sure, but based on insights from Journal 3 that we'll talk about, it feels implied to me that the president's key comes back, even though I don't remember it off the top of my head. Oh, really? I don't remember it coming back. I didn't think, I thought that was a throwaway gag. I didn't know anything else about that. That's news to me. Hell yeah. yeah. And I might end up being proven wrong, but I think so. So 
What they need now is the silliest plan ever conceived. So Dipper turns to Mabel and asks her to try to figure it out. And they do come up with something that makes absolutely no sense at all and shouldn't work, which is sticking their finger through the hole, the one hole in this uh, wooden box. And a woodpecker comes and pecks in the area. Quimbley says, is that my third wife? First of all, I don't know very much about the lifespan of a woodpecker. But I got a pretty good feeling that's not his third wife. Good first point. Second of all, third and is a woodpecker. Were the first two? Is that what broke up the second? I have a lot of questions. Well, there are a lot of questions. I don't know how long Quentin Tremblay had to have three wives in Gravity Falls because he, as we find out, did found this law in the first place. So him having woodpecker marriage be a legal thing is on his hands. I, you know, why is this a joke? Who, who in the writing board, like, can you imagine storyboarding this and being like, hear me out, marrying woodpeckers, okay? <laughs> like, somebody greenlit that. I mean, I'm glad they did, don't get me wrong. I love everything about it. But like, I just, I don't know if I would have had the balls to greenlight that in post. Or in pre-production. But the God, thank God who, for whoever did. <laughs> you might say that like Maber, Dipple, and Trumbly, they were thinking out of the box. Because they just broke out of the box. Yeah, okay. I can't tell if you're looking at me because you didn't get it or because you're disappointed in me. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. That, that's honestly the paradox of my life. <laughs> Why does it have to be or? That's not a paradox. Well, it's a very common occurrence <laughs> that happens to me when I decide to tell jokes. It was not a good... <laughs> in about like six seconds sometimes people do what you're doing now and burst into laughter and then it's like ah i got him that was it <laughs> so 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 quimbly like just kind of trembly I, I i didn't i didn't correct you the first time but I, I don't know trembly i'm it's that is a terrible name for a brain like mine <laughs> i know i got mcgucket wrong a long time ago so now i am not gonna get it wrong again i'm never getting this name right but um We'll do your best. Quimbly Trebly says something like, I need to go be with the birds. Some weird (laughs) just runs off into the forest. And we get a post-credit scene with him talking to baby congressman somehow. Um, So hold on, hold on, hold on. (laughs) You totally skipped the actual end of the episode. Which is, yeah, where the cops actually see them and the chase sequence happens. Oh, that's right. Right? And... Jesus, I clearly stopped. I I was actually really watching this and just took really crap notes because I was just writing silly things the whole time. Silly just like Mabel. Um, Yeah, Yeah, that's right. That's what my notes look like. (laughs) Yeah, well, no, because the thing is, the real end of the plot here is that as the cops catch them, Dibber comes up with an ingenious idea. And he asks Quentin Trembley, did you ever sign a resignation? To which he did not. Therefore, by some weird law logic, which I think is definitely a stretch, Um, he's still the president and is able to tell the cops that they can go on vacation and they have no objection to that. It's it's cartoon logic and we don't need to think about it all that hard as far as I'm concerned. You know what I mean? It's one of those jokes. It's like that to me, when, when we get jokes like that, that's the writer going like, okay, like what do you just expect Mabel and Dipper to just get arrested and be put in DC for the like, okay. Yeah. End credit scene. You know, like, come on, just give the show a break. It doesn't have to be perfect. I agree. Another great line from Sheriff Blubbs. He says, Edwin Durland, you are a diamond in the rough. That brings me to my favorite characters of the episode. <laughs> I feel like this is just so easy. I gave my two points to the cops because I love the out of them. And I gave my one point to Mabel because it's the whole silly thing. I didn't think that it was that hard of a moral but I, it's a good moral. And, and the thing that I like about it is if you look at it too closely, it looks like it's okay to be silly. And that's the moral, right? But if you step back a little bit from it, the point on this is actually more about having different mindsets is important for different life experiences and gives different people different skills to be good at different things. And it's important that we have different mind and different minds and different life perspectives so that we can expand our ability to deal with problems in life as a society. That was terrific, dude. 
Thank yeah. you for sharing that. No, because I feel like you articulated one of the things that I love most about not only this episode, but Mabel as a character. And we've got a first here on Gravity Bros. My point distribution is exactly the same as yours. I yep. did yep. also give two points to the cops and one point to Mabel for those exact reasons. And let me use the end of the episode to tie in again why I gave it to Mabel. Trembly decides to make her an official congressperson, which who knows what that means. Tipper yes. gets the president's key, which That's is right. relevant. But then we get Mabel back with Pacifica. And well, no, 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 no. You missed the reason why I, I gave her the point. Okay. Right after she becomes congresswoman, she says, I legalize everything. All right. Yeah, that's a very Lucas thing. All right. All right. I just say it. I just say it. Thanks, everybody. Hi. Hi, everyone. Go follow on YouTube and Instagram. Okay, Lucas. You are Mr. way Bros. too early. This is what we usually end a YouTube video with. <laughs> You're all discombobulated. You don't know if it's a YouTube video or a podcast. I'm not Lucas here anymore. Is, Lucas is off the rails, everyone. Um. Like the train from the episode. Okay. I it, waited my six seconds. I'm hoping. I don't, I don't think the train actually left the rails, though, did it? I don't know. Not yet. There's still time. I guess it has to at some point. That's oh, you mean nature. in the show, literally? Ah, forget about that. Don't think too okay. hard about it. It's a cartoon, right? Okay, well. <laughs> cartoon logic. Anyway. Anyway. Mabel tries telling Pacifica about the real president, to which she laughs in her face. And, and I and, like that Mabel actually does come to the conclusion in that moment. Like, I actually don't care what Pacifica thinks. Like, the fact that that's actually what she does is phenomenal because that's the, like, you know, like, mature thing to do. And I think that that's what I would advise somebody to do. Because, like, don't care what people think about you. If you are the kind of person who's getting bullied by people who don't understand your life perspective, it's just that those are people that are, like, it's just... They're not helping themselves by judging you because they're missing out on your whole life experience and everything that you have to offer. So it's like literally there's no reason for you to be upset because they're literally just silencing their own ability to grow as a human being. So screw them. But we also get Dipper being like, no, nah, I want revenge. And that's also awesome and valid. And we never see that in cartoons. So the fact that he just walks up to her and hands her the paper as they're driving away and says, hey, you didn't actually found the town. Suck it. And then she drives away and is like, wait, what? Mom? And Tipper's like, wow, that's underrated. That felt awesome. <laughs> and Great. it is underrated. Yeah, it to is. Have, to have a revenge instead of a moral close out an episode. I've had some great revenge experiences and all the morals that are like, revenge is never worth it. Liars. Straight liars. Sure. <laughs> never had good revenge. Clearly they've only had bad revenge stories. Um, so... Mabel, to me in this episode, is very relatable because I've sort of talked about how I think growing up, I definitely um, was more on the dipper side of things. Mm -hmm. But I realized in this episode, I have lent in to a certain type of weirdness that is very much myself in my adult life. And I stopped after a certain point caring what people think. But then it was sort of a thing where it's like, oh, now weirdness is my thing. And as Mabel says at some point in this episode, she doesn't feel like she's being taken seriously. And that's kind of the thing that I related to the most was when you are this much yourself and you're putting yourself out there and you are like, I guess, kind of trying to make people laugh, but you're also just living your best life. People have an expectation that you are probably not somebody to be taken seriously. And I would honestly wrestle with that a lot um, I think I'm better about it now, but when I finally got to a point in my life where I was not the shy kid anymore and I was bringing friend groups together and very much kind of the life of the party, not a role that I ever saw myself in as a kid because I was more of a dipper, it was a challenge to figure out where I sat because I still had the dipper in me of wanting to be taken seriously so bad. So seeing this episode, it brought a lot of that to me and I really loved the way that it ended and... You know, even being a kid's cartoon, when those things hit me so close to home, I do take a lot away from it. And I loved it. And it meant something to me personally. Yeah, I, I actually, I kind of know, I had a more experience in college about people not taking me seriously and thinking that I was just kind of a, like systematically being like, this is, this person is this kind of a person and hence actually doesn't really have anything to offer me intellectually. You know, like that, that perspective. And I, I hate it when people do that to anybody because everybody, like I was just saying, every life experience has something to offer. You should never systematically assume that like an entire life has nothing for you to learn. 
Every single person has something for you to learn. Everyone knows something you don't. Everyone. 100%. Guarantee it. <laughs> nice, man. So, uh, we that is the end of the episode. We gave out our character points. Yep. I have a proposed name for the award. I was excited okay. because I believe I, the next episode is the one with Waddles in it after this one. So, here's the thing. I, I didn't actually get Discord feedback on it, but I sat here and I was thinking, I want to find something good. I like this, okay? Yeah. I'm hoping you like it too. The mystery plaque. Yeah. Mystery plaque works. Alright, good. I know that it's not a physical object, but maybe some fan art can help us out with that sometime it, down it the line. It rhymes. It rhymes, so it's true. So, that's all that's I my thought. Now. Yeah. Let's take some insights away from Journal 3. We do get most of the stuff in this episode. It's really just extra details about the town founder, which, as I mentioned earlier, confirmed that he invented the woodpecker rule uh, and 46 different laws about where and how to court a woodpecker, which is even weirder. So they take it farther. 46? Yes. All right. <laughs> uh, there is an old law that forbids a house from holding office until it is legal age. No explanation. Okay. Um, I mean, this just sounds like regular U.S. law to me. I don't understand the joke. Yeah, I guess not. I guess so. Uh, Mabel draws a picture of herself in the journal here and, like, flexes all over the original author of Journal 3 because they figured out the uh, whole clue situation. Then we get back to more details about Quentin Trembley. Uh, we learn that he shouts America every three minutes, regardless of context. I guess on brand. <clears throat> also sounds like real presidents. Please continue. Uh, his wife, Sandy, the woodpecker, gave him his haircut. And his reasoning for no pants is that the Redcoats would be expecting that. I, uh, I support no pants, so. Good. He also has radical opinions about Irishmen, but appreciated Dipper and Mabel for not judging him. Oh, what? Yo, okay, that's something that's written. Okay, that's funny. And if you think that's wild... It is written that he used to barge in on Andrew Jackson while he was dressing, and Andrew Jackson, former president, tried to shoot him on 14 different occasions. No censorship there. That's awesome. That's why I'm glad things like the book exist. The Third yeah, Journal, we, if anybody actually doesn't know, is a real book that we're reading from. I don't know if that's something we need to clarify at this point, but just, just in case someone hasn't noticed that since while we've been doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. You never know, because sometimes people might hop in at weird times. Yeah. Um, so we also learn about this president's key. Uh, we know that it is made from a melted piece of the Liberty Bell. It can... Sick. Yeah, also, it's very cool. It can, and I quote, unlock an eagle... Dipper questions what the hell that means, <laughs> considering this man is married to a woodpecker. Definitely questionable. It's very questionable. That, why is that the context you made that joke? That was really horrendous, and I love it. I hope everybody just had a really awful image appear in their head. Please continue. <laughs> just, I'm reading you what is in the freaking book. Really? That's what it says? You made the well, connection with the woodpecker. That I, was not I, in the book. I did. No, I did make the connection. <laughs> but Dipper, Dipper does question what that means. And it's, it's, well, it's the question, right? I'm questioning uh, it a lot more now. And uh, more important canonically, I think, is that we <laughs> learn that the president's key can open doors made before 1877. So technically, at the point in history where... Quentin Trembley existed, it really could open all doors, but now it can't. So <laughs> this means that uh, Dipper is thinking of ransacking the Gravity Falls History Museum, um, which I don't know if that's in an episode, but I think the fact that the president's key can unlock doors prior to that year feels to me like something that probably comes up in the show. I, I think it doesn't. I don't think they tee that up again, but we'll find I out. We'll find out. Yeah, we sure will. Um, I did have an entry for Journal 4 planned, even though we did added it. one already. Um, it was for the Ivory Build Woodpecker. I think you I think the Walt Disney being brought back to life is a better one. I think that's that. Oh, I, like I mean, that. we could add both. I don't even know what the Ivory would. That just sounds like an animal that exists for real. Well, it did. I will is it say, just I'll an probably... extinct animal? Yes. Let's um, just go with Walt Disney then. We I agree. Last time. Okay, cool. 
But I think that's the problem, is that we did the thylacine last time, so going with another extinct animal felt redundant. So I'm glad the Walt Disney one just came up organically. Um, and now we know. Now in our book, we have, like, in our theoretical drawn book, we have an actual entry now for Walt Disney, his body being frozen in substance. I love it. Right. So so for canonical purposes, the ivory-billed woodpecker is not making the cut. Uh, but if anybody is curious, feel free to Google because it just got called officially extinct last year. And now there is a new research team claiming that there is evidence of the contrary. So there. Wow. That's just sad to me. The cipher <laughs> for this week is actually a really cool one. It is E Pluribus Trembly. In Latin, that means out of many Trembly, which is a reference to a phrase E pluribus unum, which means out of many, one, that appears on the seal of the United States and was a de facto motto of the United States until 1956. So it is Jesus Latin history. Christ. It's so a, much to get to. That is a really smart joke. <laughs> yeah, it is like a ridiculous amount of levels of separation. Uh, I think it's really cool. Again, Gravity Falls, God, the writers are so smart with this stuff. It's like Jesus. National Treasure stuff. Or, oh, wow. Oh my God. National Treasure stuff, but guess what? The title of the episode is literally Irrational yes. Treasure. Yep. Yes. The, yes. And the... Wow! Because it follows the... Also, let's not praise the writing of National Treasure. Let's just hold up real quick and make sure that we oh, didn't do that. Hold on, dude. No, I love National Treasure. Don't you dare smack talk that movie. I bet that the fans are on my side here. Please tell us in the Discord if you like National Treasure or not. Lucas um, is shaking his head, everyone. Lucas is shaking his head and looking off dude, into the distance. Look, we, we just tied the literal title of the episode back into the very end of ours. This, is ha this has to be where it ends. So, Deal. This podcast is brought to you by the Brazilian Dragon Podcast Network, uh, which has lots of rewatches of shows and movies. And they've got a separate feed called Dragon Babies, where other podcasts of that variety, which includes this one. We are on that feed, the Gravity Bros. You can find lots more of Lucas and I by watching Hester Brothers Cartoon Theater on YouTube. That's where we're probably the most prominent. Um, and check out our Discord and our social media links in the description of this episode, because the Discord is the best place for you to interact with other people who are listening and maybe solve a certain puzzle that is existing right now. Leave some five-star iTunes reviews. For real. I think one day somebody's going to listen to that request, and I'm hoping it's this episode. Uh, and thanks to our artist, Tessa Scarborough, and the voice of the mysterious woman, Anna LaFleur. We'll see you all next week. Happy sleuthing. Peace. <laughs>